worship you, to praise you, and to really feel the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that through all of our actions and deeds this day, that you will be exalted and you will be glorified. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' holy name. You may be seated. We are thankful this morning to have back with us Pastor and Sola. Uh, the folks here did a great job when they were gone, but we definitely, definitely felt the void not having them here. So we're very thankful that they're back. Uh, they, they mean so much to us. Does anybody know what today is? Is it Super Bowl Sunday? How many of you are rooting for the Giants? How many of you are rooting for the loser team? <laughs> yeah, <that's not> okay. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about words and the importance of words and how what you say can change people's lives. Thoughts become words. Words become actions. Actions become habits. Habits become character. And your character becomes your destiny. Pastor is going to share with us from James chapter 3. Starting in verse 2. For for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in words, he is a perfect man and able to divide the whole body. He even took bits and purses mouths that he may obey that they may obey us. And he turned the whole body. Took also a chest, although they are so large and are driven by are scarce, they are seldom in vain, William Shakespeare. Words so innocent and powerless as they are standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to combine them, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are endless, Mother Teresa. We know we're taught in the Bible, James 119 says, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Mark Twain summed this up well when he said, I would rather keep my mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Words are so important and how we say and what we say really matters. Many of you may know that for 12 years, 
um, I was a county legislator, and I moved through the ranks, became majority leader, and people around the county kind of knew me, so of course when my wife and I would go out, we'd always bump into somebody that always had some kind of issue or always had some kind of problem, which was fine. But they would say things to me that didn't really bother me or offend me. I guess I've got a thick skin or maybe I'm just clueless. But after they would leave, my wife would say, can you believe what they said to you? I go, what? I mean, they're just a little frustrated, right? She goes, no, I mean, this was pretty harsh. I, I just didn't, didn't pick it up. But, but, but one time we had, a, we had a budget hearing and it was at night. And 14 out of 15 legislators voted to approve the budget. Only one person didn't. And there was one lady that always came to these meetings. I just want you to know that if you had some things said to you that I've had said to me in my life, you'd be in an institution rocking in a ball crying, all right? <laughs> For some reason, God's given me the ability to let things kind of fall off. But so the meeting gets over with. 14 out of 15 people approve the budget. And I start to walk out. I didn't even get out of the chambers. My friends around me, this lady gets up and gets right in my face. And she said to me, Legislator Reynolds, you make me sick. And, you know, I kind of thought it was funny, you know. And I, and I, and I said to her, ma'am, you're going to have to get in line behind my wife and about 50 other people that I make sick. It's not just you. But, you know, words, uh, words can build you up or they can tear you down, can't they? I like this quote from Mark Twain. He says this, It takes your enemy and your friend working together to hurt you to the heart. The one to slander you and the other to get the news to you. Many, 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 many moons ago, I was in the third grade at Alfred Elman School. To tell you the importance of words, the power of words, um, we had what we called a... Uh, a little reading circle. And every day, our teacher would call us together and we'd grab our little chairs and we'd put them in a reading circle and she'd read us a story. It was wonderful. Now, how would I remember this? You know, third grade, I'm now, you know, what am I going to be, like 32 next year? It's been a long time. <laughs> I went to, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I can remember the classroom, remember the teacher. Let me say the teacher was a good teacher, a good person. She just made a mistake this day. I picked up my, picked up my little wooden chair and I went to lift it into the circle. When I did, I hit the most beautiful, perfect, uh, plant she had on the windowsill, knocked it off and shattered it. And she screamed, are you stupid? Do you know what you're doing? I still remember that. And I remember a friend kind of putting his arms, that's okay, Brent, you didn't mean it. I, I remember feeling like I wanted to cry, but I wouldn't let myself do it. And I felt bad. And I thought about that the night that I started her car on fire. <laughs> I, did. I, I didn't really. But, but, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to try to be serious now. But, but I got to wait for Don or I can't get it back together. But all of us honestly have had words spoken to us that either tremendously encourage us or just cut us right to the bone. You know, it could be a spouse, an ex-spouse, a child. Somebody said words that we need to be careful of. And I want to share this story with you from Marianne Bird. I found this years ago, and um, I used it in a Bible study once, but she wrote a book called The Whisper Test. I'm going to use her words because I really can't do it justice. She said, I grew up knowing I was different, knowing I was different. I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to other, others, 
a little girl with a mishap in lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade your second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, and a sparkly lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard would give the test to everyone in class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from the past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it. Things like, the sky is blue. Do you have new shoes? I waited there for those seven words that God must have put in her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard whispered, I wish you were my little girl. Words are powerful. Things we say matter. My children, I still do it to them today, but I started this many years ago when they were small. I think I've even done it to pastor before. But I say, look in my eyes. Look in my eyes. And they look in my eyes and I would say, I love you. And now they know what's coming, but you always get the smile, and, and I love you too. Don't be afraid to do that. I even kind of branched out a little bit with my newfound fun. And I have a friend who's like he was the baddest guy in school, the strongest guy in school, the toughest guy, smart, everything going for him. But he's never really been into my attempts to talk about the Lord with him. Well, a year or two ago, I did this with him. I saw him, we talked, we were hanging out. We're very good friends. I, I respect him in many ways. But I was getting ready to leave, and I said to him, Don, look at me. Look at my eyes. And he looked at my eyes, and I'm thinking, I don't know if this guy's going to kill me or what. I go, I love you. And I saw a little smile come, and I started to feel a little better. And he goes, I love you too. Don't be afraid to tell people that. Many of you know that um, and many of you have been counseled by pastor. He's an excellent uh, biblical counselor, and I myself have seen him many times with all kinds of issues, and he's just really, really good at encouraging us. But he said to me once, not too long ago, that, you know, Brent, when I counsel somebody, the first thing I want to make sure I do is give them encouraging words and let them know there's hope. There's hope. What you say matters. Words are powerful. Many of you probably never remember Keith Green, but he was a Christian singer years ago, and he wrote a song called I'm Your Child. And I was just thinking this past week about different words that were powerful and things that stuck in my brain over the years. And this is one. This is one verse in the song he actually was singing to the Lord, telling the Lord he's, he was his child. But these words involved his wife. Imagine the power of these words and how strong they are. He says this, As I told her when we wed, I'd surely rather be found dead than to love her more than the one that saved my soul. We all know the story about uh, Ruth and Naomi, but I just read the book of Ruth two or three weeks ago, so I was kind of searching through the scriptures for just powerful words. I mean, you could come up with tons of them yourself wherever you wanted to, but this just kind of stuck in my mind. Remember the story? There was a famine in the land, so Naomi and Elimelech and their sons moved to Moab, and uh, sons marry a couple girls, Ruth and Oprah, and then Elimelech dies, and then the sons die, and Naomi is going to head back to her homeland. And she says to the 
to the girls, you know, I kind of want to release you, stay here, you know, go find us some other people and, and whatever. And Oprah didn't want to leave either, and, but she did decide to leave. And you all know that it was good because she ended up with her own TV show and wrote many books. <laughs> and she has a magazine out too. But, but, but listen to the words of Ruth. I mean, seriously, what Ruth said. And wouldn't you love to have somebody say this to you, even if it could be your spouse or future spouse or anybody? Ruth said this to Naomi, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. And may the Lord deal with me ever so severely, if anything, but death separates me from you. There are power in words, aren't there? What we say matters. What we say matters. A little bit of a personal testimony about the power of God's Word. And God's Word, to me, some of you know this, have known me a long time, most of you don't. When I first got out of the Marine Corps, I don't know what it was, but for some reason I just developed these fears and anxieties. And it was, it was really consuming. And it actually ended up leading me to the Lord because I'm like this macho guy that doesn't need any, any other kind of strength in my life. And um, it was really the Lord breaking me down. <clears throat> but anyway, I accepted the Lord one day by myself on my sofa, and I told God that if you don't heal me from this or do anything, I'm still going to serve you because you're God. I knew that for a fact. That's the point. God is God. And whether someone believes it or not doesn't make it any less true. But anyway... At that point, because of how God was working in my heart, I was able to kind of open up to my mentor at a guy that was teaching me the Bible and, and working with me. And uh, so finally one night I got the courage to say, you know, I've got this issue. I have these fears in my life. And he said, you know what we've got to do? We've got to find a scripture verse that's applicable to your situation. You can all do this, whatever your problem is. And God knows you all have problems. I can tell just by looking at you. <laughs> but he took me... To Romans 8.15, he said, you've got to learn this, Brent, and you've got to quote it. When fears come on you, say the Scriptures, say the Word of God. And it says this, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but a spirit of sonship by which you would cry, Abba, Father. Now, pastors taught us many times, it's like saying, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father. But think about the power of those words in my heart. I was a person who thought God was punishing me because I'd done so many crummy things in my life. And... That's what I felt that oppression was. I thought that's what the fear was. But God said, Brent, I did not give you this spirit of fear. This is not from me. Other scriptures talk about a sound mind. And I knew at that point, this isn't God. God's not doing this to me. God's word, those words from God started to change my life, totally revolutionized my life. And in time, he completely and wholly delivered me from all the fears and anxieties. It was totally the grace of God. And it had nothing to do with my own personal strength. It was totally God. We're going to have a demonstration a little while later, and you're going to see how God's Word and words changed people's lives. Did I miss my video someplace along here, guys? I have a video I want to show you. But I don't know where I put it. Let's do the video.
Change your words. Change your world. What you say matters. Oh, I see where I missed it now. Skinner and Breshi were two childhood friends from Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania. They did everything together. They played ball. They uh, skipped school, double-dated. They were just so intertwined, as you know, that many of you have been with childhood friends. So when it came time for one of them to join the Army, they both, both joined together. They actually ended up on a transport ship to the Philippines together, and then they were separated. Well, Skinner ended up being captured on Bataan and was taken to a POW camp. Thirty days later, Breshi also captured and taken to a different camp. The camps were close together, and through the grapevine, Breshi learned of his friend Skinner in the camp he was in, and that he was very ill. So he devised a plan to get on a work detail, which he'd hoped would take him by that camp someday to give him an opportunity to speak to his friend. And that did come to pass. He got to Skinner's camp, and he had five minutes' permission to go and speak with him, and he immediately knew from the words of the grapevine to go to the sixth side, what they called the Zero War. They called the Zero War because nobody, zero people ever got up. They died there. They had all kinds of tropical diseases, and they did nothing to help them. These are the words of Breshi when he talks about calling out for his friend who came out. It was 79 pounds at the time. He said, I stood at the wire fence of the Japanese prisoner of war camp in Luzon and watched my childhood buddy caked in filth, racked with pain of multiple diseases, totter toward me. He was dead. Only his boisterous spirit hadn't left his body. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. His blue eyes, watery and dulled, locked on me and wouldn't let go. At that point, Breshi begins to finger his handkerchief where inside a knot he had hidden and snuck into the POW camp, his class ring, knowing that in that environment, if you have something valuable that you can trade, it may keep you alive. It may get you some medicine. It might get you food. But he could see that his friend desperately was in need. And when it came time for him to go, he took the ring and he kind of forced it through the fence. And Skinner, of course, objected. But Breshi pushed the ring to him and said, wheel and deal. And then he said, I looked at his eyes and I said, don't despair. Don't give up. I believe in you. Well, the next day, Skinner waited for the kindest guard and he took the ring and he said, takey, takey, very valuable. And the guard looked at it, smiled, and put it in his pocket. And a day or two later, he walked by and he dropped some sulfide tablets by Skinner. The next day, he dropped some limes for the scurvy. The next day, some canned beef, a pair of pants. And in three months' time, Skinner was probably the first person ever taken out the zero ward and was moved back healthy to the other side of the camp. Don't despair. Don't give up. I believe in you. You have the power to change someone's life simply by the words that you speak. Death and life are in, po in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 
18.21 says. That's why Paul urges you and me to be careful. When you talk, do not say harmful things, but say things, what people need, words that will help them and others become stronger. Ephesians 4.29. There is a test for the tongue. Before you speak, ask, well, what I'm about to say, help others become stronger? You have the ability in your words to make people stronger. Your words are to their soul what a vitamin is to their body. If you had food and saw someone starving, would you not share it? If you had water and saw someone dying of thirst, would you not give it? Of course you would then why don't you do the same for their hearts? Your words are food and water. Do not withhold encouragement from the discouraged. Do not keep affirmation from the beaten down. Speak words that make people stronger. Believe in them as God has believed in you. Arthur did. His friend Skinner survived, and both men returned home to Mount Carmel. And one day, soon after their arrival, Skinner came over, had a gift of him, a small box. You know, Breshi knew what it was. And uh, after a little bit of lame attempted humor, like, don't lose it, it cost me $18. He had his class ring back, an exact replica. He gave it to his friend with a warm smile, and he said, Artie, that ring, in your words, don't give up, don't despair. I believe in you. Save my life. Your words have power. What you say does matter. May someone say the same to you, that you saved their life. May you say that to God, that he saved your life. But I ask the people that are involved in our presentation to go ahead and prepare, and then I'm going to pray in just a second. Father, again, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to come. Help us to control ourselves and our lives. Many of us are hit daily with all kinds of different things, Lord. But we know our tongue and our speech and our words are so critical. I know this message is for me personally, Lord, to be careful in what I say. Lord, we know that you're a Lord that wants to give us abundant life. We know you want our lives to be full and meaningful. And Lord, we know you want us to have joy. But Lord, help us to guard our tongues, that we say things that build up and encourage others in this world that sometimes, Lord, is just so difficult to walk through with all the things that we are hit with on a daily basis. Help us as Christians, Lord, learn the importance of encouraging and strengthening and building others up, Lord God, that you may ultimately be glorified by our actions and by our deeds. We thank you for this day and this opportunity. In Jesus' holy name.